Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. So today's topic is one beer at a time, and it comes out of my continuing study of anxiety, especially in um, my brain research. I do love to do some brain research. And I have read and read and read and read about anxiety, and new things keep popping into my mind. And here was one. I am watching a show about pottery. It's very exciting. How many of you have watched the Great British Bake Off? Bake show, baking show, it's called here. Uh, I love that great baking show. Have you watched it? If you haven't, you must. It's a bunch of people baking in a room and then two judges come in and taste what they make and look at it and criticize it and then they give awards. Anyway, it's it's been so successful that it spawned a number of other shows. And the show I am watching is called The Great Pottery Throwdown. And it's about potters that go into a room with wheels and clay and whatnot. And they're given these challenges and they have to make pots or make sculptures or do whatever. And then the judges come in. And it's especially delightful because one of the judges, I think I've said this before because I love it so much. He's this big guy named Keith. And he's hulking from years of throwing massive pots on wheels. And he's very adorable and the thing that is most adorable about him is that he, if he sees a pot that really looks good to him he cannot stop crying <laughs> i love him everyone loves him everybody wants to make keith cry but that is not my point my point is that i'm studying fear and creativity and one of the very solid research findings is that you can't be fearful and creative at the same time the moment you try to push people to be creative, their creativity dives. They can't do a thing. Even if, like if you say, okay, make up a limerick or I'll kill your mother, they obviously are going to freeze, right? But even if you say to someone, I'll give you a candy bar if you can do this right, they will immediately become less able to create something new. So I'm watching this pottery. I'm reading all the brain books. Blah, blah, blah. I'm watching the great pottery throwdown. And I'm thinking, these people are terrified. I mean, like they walk into a room, they get an assignment, they have to like make a, a Greek statue in two hours out of bubble gum or some weird thing like that. And they all like buckle down and do it. And some of them are very creative indeed. So I'm challenging myself thinking, how do you be creative and fearful at the same time? And I've been asking people, are you creative people? At the moment you're creating, are you ever afraid? And at the moment you're afraid, are you ever creating? And the answer is no. These two states are indeed mutually exclusive. But what's happening, I think, with the people in the pottery show is that they're able to zip back and forth very quickly between frightened and challenged by something and creative. And like I've watched, I've been watching their faces and I've watched them sort of blank out. And one guy, for example, when he wasn't getting a challenge, he just went outside and walked around for 10 minutes. And then he came back and he had an idea. But they all take these little breaks. So at the same time this is happening, we're having this record heat wave. I, this is probably dated. Like if you're watching a year from now, you're probably laughing that a year ago we thought this was hot. But for example, my... My daughter and her partner in England, I was talking to them yesterday, and they have just survived the hottest day in British history, period. Not like since World War II or no, just the hottest day ever. And yeah, the Great Salt Lake is drying up, blowing arsenic into the air 
for the people of Utah where I grew up, things are not looking good climate-wise. And I, for one, am terrified. And I'm terrified for all the little things along the way, too. I'm terrified about what will happen to the people of Utah if the arsenic goes into the air. I am terrified about the brine shrimp dying in the Great Salt Lake so that millions of migratory birds will not be able to eat them and we'll have to find something else, maybe just not find something else. I am terrified about the fact that I can now see visible veins in my face. Let's see what I am terrified by the fact that um, I have a two-year-old in my house running at light speed into every damaging object and situation possible. Oh, I have tons of fears. And I'm writing a book on calm? Yes, and here is why. I have realized that I, that in order to get to a place of creativity that blocks out fear, what you have to do is be so alarmed <laughs> by this one fear that you focus on it and it alone. So I, I, you're watching these people doing their pottery and I'm thinking, how are they making a Grecian statue out of bu bubble gum? But here's what they're not doing. They're not worrying about who took out the trash la last. They're not worrying about what to eat for dinner tonight. They're not worrying about getting hit by a bus on their way home. They're not worrying about anything but a pottery challenge. And if you are sufficiently alarmed, <laughs> like if you're walking along in the forest and you come around the corner and there is a bear or a mountain lion, every other thought leaves your head. And this is what Gavin De Becker calls the gift of fear. My friend Gavin De Becker, who's a violence expert, the gift of genuine fear is that it doesn't cause you to worry. It causes you to act. So this is something Gavin has said to me personally, because I've talked to him on the phone twice. <laughs> and he says, real fear galvanizes action and it does not torment us. Worry, anxiety, those aren't really fear. Fear has been given us by nature to get us to do something helpful for ourselves. Anxiety and worry are things that we get caught in, and I now know where in the brain we get caught, uh, going round and round and round this loop of anxiety that is not productive, it's stultifying, it's paralyzing. If you are caught in anxiety, you'll have many, many fears. It feels like a storm of fears. My whole thing about climate change and the animals and the, my toddler and my visible veins in my face, they're all there at once, right? But if I run into a bear, they're gone. Or even if you put me in a room with some clay and, and said, make a pot, or you will be humiliated on worldwide TV. I would isolate my fear from the rest of my thinking. And he, so here's, here's the first thing is just take it one fear at a time. So write down a fear. If you have an anxiety, but you know, put them all down. I worry about climate change. Sometimes I try to do things about climate change. I worry about visible veins in my face. I meditate. So I get less ego about it. I, um, I have to throw a pot. That's all. I'm, I'm going to write that down. Write it down to keep it so that your mind can let go of it while you focus on just one fear. Okay? So right now, think of something that you're nervous or anxious about happening today. So what will happen today that you feel a little bit anxious about? Okay. I'm working on my book. I am completely in the weeds again. I keep thinking I've got it all mapped out. 
then I get a letter from my agent and I'm like, oh yeah, no, that, that won't work. Okay, what's going to work? And my brain goes into this complete storm. So you know what? I am not worried about that right now. I'm here with you guys, with you folks. Ha ha. And so I'm going to take my book project later today and I'm going to devote some dedicated time to that fear. I'm going to sit right down with, oh my gosh, I have to get a proposal, an amended proposal back to my agent. And that's all I'm going to think about. And I'm going to let myself feel the fear of it. All the other things are on the back burner. I will fear, I will get afraid of those again. I promise you, I'll get back to worrying about climate change first thing tomorrow. And I have worked toward ending climate change. It's not like I just sit and fret. I will do some kind of action. But tonight, I'm just going to worry about not being able to rewrite my book. And then, okay, here's the pay dirt, you guys. When you've got one fear, it's the bear in your path, okay? So everything else is gone. Bear. Book. Whatever it is. Argument with child. Argument with spouse. Whatever you've got going. And then we're going to do this magical transfer. And I wish I'd thought of this, but it actually comes from a psychiatrist named Judson Brewer who wrote a book called Rewiring Anxiety, or no, Unwinding Anxiety. Hang on, let me just look over here. Ah, Unwinding Anxiety, yes, by Judson Brewer. And he has a brilliant strategy that I'm about to teach you. You get your one fear, you get your bear on the path, you get into a state of maximum, like, peril, and then you say to yourself this magical word. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. He actually says, hmm. I say, huh. But it's the same thing. Then you open your eyes very wide. Hmm. Now what this does is it triggers the brain backwards into a position of curiosity. So when we're curious about something, our eyes open wide and we go, huh. Like there's a really specific tone. Oh, in all the languages I've studied, there's always that, huh, it's in every language. So I think it's even pre-language. And then you open your eyes wide and you go, huh, while you're afraid. So there's the bear in your path. And what you're saying, huh, about is your own reaction to the fear. Okay. So I have summed this up in a beautiful acronym, ick. Ick is how you approach your fear once that you've got it isolated. And ick stands for inward looking, curious, and kind, right? So you go, huh, what's going on inside my weird little head? What does that fear actually feel like? And you start to describe it for yourself as if you're a scientist that's trying to figure out how to um, replicate something in a lab or an artist trying to decide how to portray fear. Pretend you're an actor who wants to portray fear and you've got a very frightened person in front of you and you're looking, huh? Okay. So when you're frightened, all right, I can see you jiggling your foot. Okay. And uh, yeah, you're looking, you're getting all crunched up and tense. Oh, that's interesting. All right. So you study your own reaction to the fear because in your little left side amygdala, there is a spark that is always afraid, 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 afraid. And in the right side amygdala is something that says curious, 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 curious. So at a very deep level, if you can go out of ah! and into, huh, 
especially while you're actually examining your own fear, you can't stay with the fear. Curiosity is the other side of fear at its most essential place. So when Liz Gilbert wrote her book, um, Big Magic, about creativity, I don't think she knew about the brain study, but it's called Creative Living Beyond Fear because she knows that fear is what's keeping us from create. And sure enough, one of the big recommendations she makes is find a way to get curious. Find a way to get curious. And I was like struggling with my, how do I do it? How do I get curious? And then I ran into Judson Brewer and his, huh, Try it. Try to keep your eyes open really wide and say, huh, and like really get into it. You'll feel a little shift, just a little shift. And all you need is that. And once you get curious about your fear, you can start to then go into the other parts of your brain. Why? Because the other parts of your brain are there to calm down the scared one inside. So once you get to curiosity, you can also add kindness. So you're looking inward at yourself. You're getting curious by saying, huh, and opening your eyes wide. And then you start offering kindness. And all it has to be, I've talked about this recently a lot, because this is is what works. You just go, it's okay, honey. You're okay. We'll be okay. Yeah, you're very, very worried about your book. Or you're so worried about climate change. Oh, that's really, I can see how much you're suffering. Yes, yes, we'll think about it later. But right now... I just want you to feel okay. I want you to be able to calm down because it's only when you go into the place of calm that answers start arriving to help you solve the problem you're facing. That's the whole thing. You cannot solve the problem from within the state of fear. You have to go into a state of calm. And the bridge to that is to isolate one fear and then turn inward, get curious, and then offer yourself kindness. And we've talked about this a lot lately because this is what I'm writing about. But I loved this little trick of crossing the bridge from fear to curiosity by saying, huh, and then like, oh, let's take care of you. And then the little you that's being taken care of starts to say, you know what? I do have one idea. Or and goes, oh, something just occurred to me. As soon as the calm comes in, the whole brain that's been alarmed by the anxiety starts to offer solutions. I've done this so many times I can't count them and today's the first time I ever really like parsed it out. Okay, so Dr. Donna says, what do you do when your creativity causes fear? I love to write, but right now that's causing fear. Donna, you know I love you, but writing is not causing you to fear. The fear, you love to write, And you go, the reason you love to write is that when you're in the writing, the room drops away and there's no fear. But if you allow the fear to come in, then it paralyzes the writing. I I would almost guarantee you're not actually creatively writing or academically writing or creating anything when you're in the state of fear. You're going back and forth between them. And what you need to do is go, oh, interesting. I'm sitting down to write, which I love. Why do I love it? Oh, that's because it puts me in this state when I don't notice anxiety. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow, I sit down to write and I go into anxiety right away. Hmm, how interesting. How can I calm down the part of me that goes into anxiety? What's the kindest thing I can do for her? And then go back to writing. So you just, you bring the anxiety up, you treat it kind with inward, curious kindness, and then you go back into the creative space when you calm down. When you get used to going back to that space over and over and over again, 
you dig a rut in your brain. You create a heavily myelinated circuit that goes to the creative spark. And that's what the people in the pottery show are doing. They're terrified of the assignment. And they've got something in them that goes, okay, but huh, how would I solve that? And what's going on? And then in that moment of huh, there's a calm space that opens up where creativity can come in. And then if you just grab creativity by its little ears and just hang on tight, you are going to go for a ride out of anxiety. You won't know it because you won't be marking time and you won't be thinking in language, even if you're writing. You won't be thinking in language about your anxieties. Nothing will be in the room but the project you're working on. And you will be moving toward that because the true gift of fear is, you know, like it, that doesn't, it, it's not even the right word. But the true gift of motivation is I'm going to create in a calm space to solve my problems. The problem creates fear. Calm creates the solution. So we wait for calm to come and give us the solution because problems come and give us the problem and give us the anxiety. But what we have to do is go voluntarily into the calm first and then the solution comes to us. So that is why we do one fear at a time. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. Anne says, can you be so damn tired of being in a state of fear all the time? Yes, you can. And you know what that's telling you? Stop. Stop. The biggest bear in the room is that you're exhausted. Huh. Oh, I'm exhausted. Oh. Yeah, I noticed that every time... I get just, I spend two or three hours worrying. I end up completely enervated, like without any energy at all. Huh. What could I do for that part of me? Maybe say, honey, don't worry. I mean, honest to God, it's like 1130 at night. Let's just, let's just have a big drink of water and watch a pottery show. Huh? Like give yourself the calm that you would give a, a sick child or something and notice that you don't have to be in fear all the time to be productive. That's a lie the culture tells us. And the fatigue is nature telling you, stop it. Anxiety just burns you up. And fear is only present when you're, the bear is in front of you. So any if there's not a bear in front of you, you don't have to be afraid. That's the bottom line. New York Lotus says, where in the brain does the worry go round and round? It's in the left hemisphere. And Jill Bolte-Taylor writes brilliantly about this. But what happens is, there's a very um, primitive subverbal self that just goes, ah, a lot whenever it sees anything unusual, whenever it gets any unusual sensory information. And then it kicks it over to a part of the left hemisphere that's very controlling and that tries to get information and control the situation. Meanwhile, the frontal lobes are telling a story. Oh my gosh, this is very scary. I don't know what that is, but it looks a lot like a, oh, it looks like another plague. Oh my God, what are we going to do? How bad could it get? So then the stories generated in the cortex feed back into the amygdala. So the amygdala is just like a baby going, ah! And then the stories we tell in, the, in, in our cortex, oh my God, become the trigger that makes the amygdala more afraid. 
and our attempts to control make us even more afraid because they fail almost all the time. So that you get the story um, feeding back into the fear, feeding back into the attempt to control, feeding back into the story. And it just goes around and around and around on the left hemisphere. On the right hemisphere, the amygdala is going curious, curious, curious. Ooh, it's not going, ah, it's going, hmm, all the time. Hmm, hmm. And the hippocampus on that side doesn't go to control. It says, oh, what could I connect to that would make this, would make sense of this? So it's combining two very different ideas. Oh, what could I, what could I do with these parts that I'm seeing in the world around me? So it's putting things together in a holistic, um, connected way. And then if you can get the cortex on board, it goes, oh, I notice when I solve problems from this space of curiosity and connected compassion, all my fear goes away and I make things that are nice. So that's what's happening in the brain. And it's very important to, to sort of know that that's what's going on when you're worrying. It's not reality. It's just a, a loop in the human brain that evolution gave us by accident. So Ellen says, does this work for social anxiety? What would you get curious about? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have so, so much social anxiety. And um, Ro and I went to a party in Connecticut a couple weeks ago. Terrified. I think I mentioned it to you guys. Oh, I have to go to a party. I'm terrified. It was amazing. It was a terrific party. It was wonderful. I had a great time. But I'm telling you, I was so anxious in the car driving to this party that I was literally like looking in the glove compartment for spare psychotropic drugs. <laughs> we don't have psychotropic drugs in our car. I was just hoping to find some. And I finally went, well, it was Ro, really. She said, no, no, no. I went through this in school. I went to a school with a lot of rich kids and I was the unrich kid. And I just decided to be completely defiant. And I just sort of watched them and watched myself and thought, how can I be the coolest person in the room? You know, like in defiance of all social norms. And I said, oh, I guess I could do that. So we started talking about the dynamics of the situation in a way that was creative. And she was like, here's what I would do. You know, I'd go completely goth and just be the goth one or whatever. So we said, all right, that is what we will do. We will just find a way to be curious about the party. Then we went into the party and I played my ace over and over and over again. And here's the ace. Here is four aces, you guys. People are interesting. People are interesting to me. So a person would come and they'd say, hello, my name is whatever. And I'd think, huh, what's going on with this person? And I'd say, ha, it's so nice to meet you. What's going on? And they would start to talk and I would immediately get curious about something else. Like I met another life coach who wasn't in my life coaching system. And I was like, huh, what do you do for life coaching? How did you get into the business, you know? And um, turned out that curiosity was the cure in the car on the way to the party. And once I got to the party, it was like a fabulous cure for the social anxiety I would have felt if I hadn't gotten curious about the people. Yep. Uh, Luminous Creatrix says, my social self is afraid of being an artist. It paralyzes me sometimes. What do I do? Such a good point, Luminous Creatrix. First of all, you say, huh, social self is very scared. I can tell because she's paralyzed. Now, paralysis is a fear reaction that comes, again, at the very deep amygdala level. Like it's the fight, flight, freeze thing. 
So what you do is you say, oh, she's frozen again. Look inwardly, get curious. Huh, why is she frozen? What does that feel like? What does frozen feel like, honey? Tell me everything. And then you, she says, well, I just can't move at all. You say, oh, that sounds terrible. Tell me some more. And she says, oh, it happened when I was a child all the time. And instead of saying, oh, no, 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 you say, really? Oh, that sounds dreadful. Tell me more. And eventually she'll get so tired of telling you about how anxious she is that her, your attention sort of drifts off in some other way. And then if you can sit down with whatever your art is and make that art the only thing in the room and get curious about that and start to investigate that, you can, you can use the anxiety of the past to bring a solution into the present as long as you go into the space of curious, calm, kind. I know, it's, it's a little round. If you can just get to curious, guys, you're going to be fine, people. So Judas says, how about rational fears? Like my body might always feel this bad from now on. Rational is code for my left hemisphere is saying this. Yeah, your body may feel this bad always, or it may not. There, it's a really interesting point is that every anxiety begins with what if? What if this happens? But it's actually not a question. It's an invitation to imagine something bad happening. But by the so same token, what if is at the heart of every creation? This was in Rose newsletter. I'm trying to attribute where it is due. If you can say, what if my body becomes incredibly resilient and gains superpowers? What if I'm like that dude who had the lethal illness and he locked himself in a hotel room and watched funny movies and, and laughed until he got all better. What if it's possible for me? There's a dude in Turkey who is a painter, but he has no eyes. He was born without eyes. What if my body can do whatever his body is doing and figure out a way around every known principle of physics? What about that? So instead of going into the rational fear, which is just the doomed fear, it's just doom scrolling, you go into the creative what if. The creative rational. What if my body turns out to be like, uh, you know, the bodies that, I, that uh, Jesus helped in when Jesus was on the earth? Or what if, what if this um, entire physical existence turns out to be uh, a virtual reality and the real truth is something beyond that? Hmm, what if? Notice how it makes you feel. Be curious and kind and go where the feeling is best. That's what a curious, kind person does. Okay, Disenlightened Edits says, how would you suggest using this technique when working to manifest something that you feel anxious about because it is needed? This is exactly what I'm saying about one fear at a time. So you need something, like we need a cure for climate change. We really, really do. I really believe we do. Maybe that's a rational fear, maybe we don't. But I kind of feel like we do, and I'm very curious about it. I have been my whole life. So I really want the world to change in a positive way. And I get quite anxious about it a lot. Is it the bear on my path? It is not. I find the bear that is in my way. If there is no bear on my path, I enjoy the present moment with curiosity and kindness. If I'm not afraid and I think, what could fix climate change? Huh. 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 Um, there's a book called Drawdown by a guy named Paul Hawkins about all the things that we could do to reverse climate change. And like, if we just 
planted several million um, different plants. Uh, this one plant, this one species of plant, if we planted several million of them, they pull, ox pull carbon out of the air and excrete oxygen. And if we all did that, we could pull down, draw down the carbon dioxide. That's curiosity at work. Whoever was working that problem had that as the only thing in the room. And they were curious about it. And they were going, what can we do to pull carbon out of the air? There are a lot of different ways we can pull carbon out of the way out of the air. Read Drawdown. It's really good. Sold 45,000 copies the day it was published. So there are people out there thinking about this. And you may notice that as I say, we could do this, we could do that. The anxiety gets less to the extent that you are genuinely buying into the questioning process, to the curiosity process, to the discovery and creation process. Once you get linked into that, the one bear in the room just becomes an animal that you're here to tame and you stop being afraid eventually. But you're not thinking about any of the others. You're not thinking about all the stuff. You're thinking about one thing. Put everything else down on paper. Look at one thing at a time. Investigate how you feel. Investigate what, must make, what makes you feel better. Okay, Etakenrod says, how about fear of paying rent or food? Those are things that a lot of people are very, very frightened about. I am reading right now a book called, I'm going over by the way because we got started late with some technical glitches. There's a book by Melody Beatty called uh, Codependent No More that was a big bestseller when I was, uh, I was in my early 30s. And her books saved me. She talks about um, how she was a, an addict and then she, she got into 12 steps and then she got involved with addicts. She was really codependent and her life went completely to the skids. And there was a, a night when she was um, in her car. She had two kids. They had nothing to eat. She drove to like a soup kitchen and it was closed. And she said there in the car, she actually hit bottom. She had no place to live. She had no food for her children. And she was terrified. And she was sitting in the car and she started to pray, I need help right now. Like, I really need help right now. And nobody showed up to give her food. And nobody showed up to give her a house that night. All that came into her mind was a sense of, just deal with this, honey. Just deal with this right now. So she called a friend. And the friend gave her and her kids some food and a place to stay. And then she started building her way out of poverty. And this book was a huge bestseller, and now she's redone it. And after that book saved my sanity 30 years ago, now, now they sent it to me to see if I can give it a blurb <laughs> to help it sell better, right? Something about the way Melody Beatty engaged with her difficulties by being really curious and taking what was given her one fear at a time, one, not two, not three, Rent or food? No, you only get one. Rent now, food later, or whatever. But the way she dealt with it built her out of that one night in the car with no food in the cold up to a best-selling author and a really famous do-gooder who was putting such goodness out into the world that at a moment when I was broke and scared, she took my attention off the ah and into the hmm. What actually happened for her in that moment? What's actually happening for me? And now 
I ended up becoming a best-selling author and I can help her. And I start to see the world in these loops of um, creative imagination and art that the our spiritual intelligence is playing with the physical circumstances to teach us how to be, get out of the anxiety that's built into our brains, take one fear, get curious, inward curious and kind, and watch the way it brings us out of fear and into creation of things that have not existed ever in the past. This is how the human species has made such amazing things, by refusing to respond to fear with just fear, by responding to fear with curiosity and with kindness. How do we make things a little better? So if you can do that today, you will feel calmer, I promise you. And you will, in that space of calm, if you can hold it or go back to it enough, an idea will come to you and you will, you will try it. And it may work or it may not. Either way, go back to the one thing. Focus on that, get inward, curious, and kind, huh? And then just see what shows up. And we can talk about it more next week probably because I am obsessed with this topic. But it will be some different nuance of this topic. So I love you so very much. Thank you for being here. I hope you have success with this method. Just remember, ick, 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 internal, curious, and kind. Huh. That's your tool of the week. I'll see you later. Thank you for being here. It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. For almost 30 years, I've been teaching people to do something that I call reading your internal compasses. I believe we are all born with direction-finding mechanisms that are inherent in us and will help us find our best destiny. Uh, a few years ago, though, I realized that a lot of people were getting very, very anxious. And this is true. Anxiety is going nuts all over the planet. So I spent five years researching and writing a book about how to read your compasses and lower the anxiety that's getting between you and your right life. And I'm very excited about the book. It's coming out in 2025. But I would love to teach you about it before the book comes out. So this summer, I'm doing a course called The Wayfinder's Compass, Moving Beyond Anxiety. And you can check it out by going to marthabeck.com slash compass. And we will have a fabulous time putting you on course for your North Star.